my North Star is making sure that I'm doing good, making the best products that I'm physically capable of doing, and that I'm helping people live better lives. And as we know, one of the key ways of doing that is, is, is by being healthy. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. It is my absolute honor to have the founder of GT's Kombucha as a guest today. So welcome to the podcast, GT. It's really exciting to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Christy, for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you. And I would just love it. I've done a lot of interviews with founders, but I don't think I've done one with someone who has as much history and experience as you do as a pioneer really in the health and wellness space. So would you talk a little bit about your story about GT's kombucha and and why you decided to start this whole thing at the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kombucha came into my life at the tender age of 13. It was this kind of unusual pungent tasting and pungent smelling tea that both my parents who raised me a vegetarian brought into the household back in the early 90s. Now, they didn't know anything about it, and so therefore they took the leap of faith that it was supposed to be healthy, and it was nicknamed the drink of immortality, and all of that stuff. But I myself wasn't on the bandwagon just yet. But what I did notice, even though I wasn't consuming kombucha when it first came into the household, is how my parents became fanatic about it. But it wasn't that that piqued my interest to eventually take that daunting step to start a company and start bottling a product and putting it on stores for others to consume. It really was my mom's story, which intersected with kombucha because my mother, after two years of drinking kombucha, was diagnosed with cancer, which of course rocked the household. But when she was diagnosed, she was given the news that she had, that the doctors believed she had had the cancer for four years and that they believed because of that, it had spread throughout her body specifically to her bones. But the reason why that dark news became uplifting news is about a couple weeks later when they got more of their test results back, they called my mother back into the doctor's office and said, Mrs. Dave, we called you in not because we have bad news. We called you in because we have good news. This cancer that we believe you've had for many years, a very fast-growing form of cancer, has not metastasized like we believed. In fact, it's in a, the tumor is in a dormant state. Most of the tumor, although it's the size of a golf ball, which is very large in her right breast, is mostly precancerous and has not spread to the lymph nodes. And so we want to know anything unusual that you've been doing that we can learn from. So the reason why I bring that up is that, again, for any entrepreneur, for most entrepreneurs, it's really a moment, a catalyst that really is in many ways life-changing, sometimes ground zero, sometimes rock bottom you find yourself at a crossroads. And so that moment is when kombucha became something bigger to me. And not only did it inspire me to start drinking it, which I quickly fell in love with, but it also motivated me to put it out there in the world in its purest, most perfect form in the same way that my mother was drinking it, because I genuinely believed that it could help others like it had helped her and even helped me. 
And so I technically started my business when, in 1995, and I technically started it when I was 15. But at the time, that's not what I believed I was doing. I was, I was beginning a mission, if you will. That's an incredible. I mean, that is an incredible story. And I do, I think a lot of people start companies like you did because they have a need, but you, you had more than a need. I mean, you had something that was, you sort of knew was working. And I think that's so interesting. And I'm curious to know, did the doctors believe you when you told them that was what it was and that was what worked for her so dramatically? Honestly, you know, back then, Conventional doctors were hesitant to embrace anything natural right. and holistic. Very right. different than today. Right. Now we actually get new consumers and new fans of our products coming to us saying, hey, a doctor actually recommended I drink your product because of my gut issues or my digestive issues or what have you. But back then, to answer your question, they kind of danced around it. So yeah. what they did is they asked my mom, have you been doing anything unusual? And she basically referenced, I'm a vegetarian, I exercise, and for the last two years, I've been drinking this pungent tasting tea that makes me feel great. So their response was, oh, we want to know more about this kombucha, we want to study it. It wasn't that, because that would be too good. <laughs> Instead, what we got was, okay, well, whatever it is you're doing, continue to do it because your situation is miraculous. Wow. But it didn't stop there, and that's the important part, because I want those that are listening, who some might be rolling their eyes and be like, like, hey, it was just coincidence or hey, you know, maybe it was just a placebo effect or whatever. But the reason why I can say with certainty that that's not the case is that my mom actually chose then to go through conventional therapy. So she did chemotherapy, then a lumpectomy where they went in and removed the tumor, chemotherapy again, and then radiation. And the doctors warned her they said, hey, there's a chance that the chemo may kill you because we're not going to take any chances. You've gotten this far on your own, but we still want to make sure that we're super diligent about ridding this cancer out of your body. But sometimes it could kill you in the process, which we all know is why chemotherapy is so hard on people. Right. It becomes almost like a, se a second enemy. Yes. But when my mother went through these incredible three rounds of treatments, the only thing that made her feel better, the only thing that gave her strength was kombucha, nothing else. And so what also happened is that throughout her therapy and treatments, which I recall would span over, I think, six or nine months, people marveled in the medical community and at work. She was that healthy that she actually was able to go to work during wow. these treatments. It's incredible. And so what people would start to say is, you look great. And they were shocked to find out that she's actually like, I'm going through cancer treatment. I'm going through chemotherapy. But there was this, this buzz of like, well, how is this possible? How is somebody that's being hit with so many chemicals and toxins mm -hmm. glowing and healthy? And again, the only answer, we're not doctors or scientists, but again, observation is, is a big thing. We observe mm -hmm. that kombucha continued to play a role in her life. That's incredible. That's a great story. And I, I don't know how you could have done anything else, but what you did, it feels like you had to in a way. Yeah, that's exactly it. It was, you know, the universe was throwing something at us and, and we had to rise to the occasion. And, and I think there were angels, as silly as that sounds, kind of watching over us and, and making sure that the dark turned to light and that we did something about it. That's incredible. 
you were doing this before this was a thing like health and wellness now, obviously, especially post COVID there's the conversation is huge and there are so many people involved in it, but then there weren't, then people must've been, it must've been even harder for you than it is for people now to go and say, I have this brand. It's called kombucha. It is a live bacteria. Like what was that like? It was like speaking a foreign language. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) You know, it's, it was really remarkable. I mean, I, I just want to, you know, remind you and everybody listening that the nineties was, was a very different time. Yes. Our knowledge, you know, we didn't have the quote unquote information superhighway that the internet became. Our knowledge of, of health was very, very basic and arguably misguided. And what I mean by that, like things like high fructose corn syrup in Snapple was considered healthy. Products like Gatorade and Sobe and again, Snapple were considered health drinks. Right. So imagine now cut to this young kid, which I'm already kind of working against disadvantage of being young and and therefore dismissed, but also trying to share and promote a vinegar smelling and vinegar tasting drink that had these strands in it that look like, Mm -hmm. you know, some people would say it looks like alien life forms, you know, kind of floating in the liquid. And here I'm pouring this in little two ounce cups at the health food store. And it was an uphill battle. But what kept me going, in addition to what I shared earlier about this belief that I was doing something good and something important for the world, is that the science behind kombucha became more and more apparent. Mm -hmm. Because we all know that there are foods out there that have been recognized for decades to be healthy, whether that's yogurt, whether that's apple cider vinegar, the master cleanse, which is a form of apple cider vinegar and other ingredients, like all of those have received recognition for being healthy. And kombucha, although it's not identical to those categories and items, has similar qualities. So I was able to educate people through familiarity of, hey, fermented foods, kimchi, miso, yogurt, kefir, we all know those are healthy. This is that. And slow, little by little, I was able to educate people that sourness, I mean, to be honest, even mother's milk is sour. So, right. you know, we, I, I had to kind of draw people's attention to reality and facts and, and evidence that there are things that exist and have existed that tell us that kombucha is good and kombucha is something special. Yeah. Well, you did a great job because you created a a category that, I mean, first of all, it didn't even exist. And now there's so much competition in every conversation I have around probiotics and around gut health that comes up every time. It's true. I mean, because again, fermented foods, is it's a fascinating world. And we're candidly just scratching the surface here in the States. I mean, if you go to other parts of the world, Japan, other Asian countries, you know, fermented foods are critical to health and wellness and, of course, digestive support. Yes, it's amazing. So can you talk about what it was like for you? Like, I mean, I can't even imagine the challenges. I mean, how did you convince people that this was something for the masses or even, I mean, at the time, I'm sure you weren't even thinking that big or maybe you were. I don't know, but I'd love to hear about it. Well, you know what it was is, is I, I honestly wasn't trying to conquer the world. As silly as it sounds, I didn't really have on my agenda that I wanted to have a, a major company that had major distribution that was making, generating major revenue. I honestly 
was just a kid. I was just a teenager. As I said, I witnessed my mother's health turn around. And in my own personal world, you know, I was going through some trials and tribulations that allowed kombucha to give me a, a new lease on life. And so the reason why I say that is it, it kind of shaped and, and framed my point of view. And all I really wanted to do is have a sense of purpose. Yeah. And I really just wanted to make great kombucha, even if that meant one bottle that touched one life. That's all I cared about. And so therefore, I was very cautious and conservative about how I ran my business and expanded my business. Because the one other point that I want to make is I had learned and had been and observed early on in my career that not only easy come, easy go, but it's, it's easy to make big mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the example that I'm going to reference is within the first, I think, year of me starting my business, another company making another health drink called Edwala Juice, which I think many people are familiar with, they had their first recall. And it was because they were making a very hard-to-make product, which back then was fresh-pressed, not pasteurized, fresh-pressed juice. And they were growing by leaps and bounds and taking over state by state. And because they were growing so rapidly, they unfortunately had a quality issue and it it Uh, almost crippled them. Yeah. So that was a big, big eye opener for me. So when you started the business, you were a teenager. And when did you really get it going? Like, when did you feel like, did it feel like you were in business when you were 16 years old or did it take some time? You know what it felt like? It felt bigger than a hobby. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was, I was devoted, right? This is all I did. I mean, I was a one man show. I brewed, fermented, bottled, delivered, took orders, labeled. I mean, I did everything. So it's not like I was just doing two hours a day. I lived and breathed it. I mean, for every waking hour of my first, I want to say first three to five years, I was a single parent, if you will. So, you know, again, the, the reason why that's important is that it really shaped my point of view and therefore arguably made me grow my business in a very unconventional way. I wasn't looking to expand my distribution and increase my store right. count dramatically day by day, week by week. I had very kind of modest goals to a certain degree, meaning like I, I didn't want to take over the world. I just wanted to maybe take over my neighborhood. <laughs> but yeah. I had very high I had very high standards. I wanted every bottle to be perfect. I wanted every store to be perfect. I only wanted my product to be in stores that it was welcome to be in, which is why I wasn't knocking on the doors of like a Ralph's or a, a conventional grocery store. Back then, by the way, there was no Whole Foods. Right. So in many ways, I was even forced by my own decision to stay within the natural channel, yeah. the natural food market channel, that you know my opportunities back then were very limited. There was maybe a handful of stores here in Los Angeles that I could cater to. So it kept me, again, very focused. How did you know what to do at that age? How did you even know what the right steps to take were? Did you have someone helping you? Did you have background or you just had true mission-based passion? I would say it was mission-based passion and just a heart, heartfelt intentions. You know, again, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I, I do want to give some context is that I think what constantly kept me very focused on the right things and the right way of doing things is, you know, I was raised from a, with, with a very spiritual background to believe that you need to make a positive impact on this world. You need to lead this world better than you found it. Uh-huh. And, and that many times and in many ways comes through living a very selfless 
existence. So it's not through ego. It's not through greed. It's not about personal advancement. It's really about making a good and positive contribution in the world. And then when you do that, good things come your way. So that was kind of how I, I lived my personal life. But more importantly, those are the values that then and today still exist within the brand is, yes, money is nice and growth and profit and success and all those things. I'm not going to lie. They're great. Love it. But it's, that's not the master that I worship. My North Star is making sure that I'm doing good, making the best products that I'm physically capable of doing, and that I'm helping people live better lives. And as we know, one of the key ways of doing that is, is, is by being healthy. Yes, absolutely. What was the first time for you where you felt like you were really onto something and you were going to make it a success? I, I know there are probably lots of moments like that, but what do you remember the first one where you were like, okay, I can do this? Yeah. And to your point, there was like, there was like pulses of it right? yeah. and different to different degrees and different magnitudes that were of course somewhat tied to the circumstances back then. So like the first most noteworthy one, at least at the time, was when I got my first customer call. And when somebody just kind of called called the company hotline out of the blue and just shared without any kind of solicitation that they discovered the product, consumed it, felt a difference, and it made them feel better. Wow. And that to me was... It, it made my heart skip a beat because that's exactly what I was trying to do. And so that's when I was like, because we all know, right? Our, sometimes we can live our lives in a, in like a tunnel or a yes. vacuum. And we think, absolutely, what, yeah, we think the way we feel is what everybody's going to feel. That's right. And that's many, right. times, many, many times not the case. But when you hear a confirmation, a reaffirmation of, hey, what I'm seeing and feeling, others are feeling, that's like when the magic happens. And there was different versions of that later on. And the one other example I'll reference is it was when I would go to deliver my products where I would see the shelves bare and the store clerk or the, the, the guys or gals that stock the shelves would say, oh my God, this stuff is flying off the shelf or, and or going to the stores to restock the shelf. And somewhere in between that, walking, watching somebody come up to me and saying, oh, excuse me. And then filling up their cart with wow. not one, not two, but like 10 or 20 of the bottles. And then when I would naturally, because they just, they didn't know who I was. I was just a kid. I'd be like, oh, do you like this stuff? And they'd be like, oh my God, it makes <laughs> me feel so great. Like I would have these stomach issues or these headaches or whatever. And it's, it's incredible. And sometimes they'd say, I don't know what it is, but it's incredible. And that's yeah. when I was like, yes, I'm on to something. And were you on your own? Were you solo at the time? Yes and no. You know, I was solo in the sense that, as I mentioned earlier, I was a one-man show physically. You know, I did everything. <laughs> now that I look back, I don't know how I did it. I mean, I guess that's yeah. the, the teenage, teenage stamina. But emotionally, I had my support group, and that was my parents, but mo more specifically, my mother. Yeah. And that came in multiple forms. It came from, again, the pride that I could see in her eyes that I was now, now gravitating to something. And it was something that resonated with her for many reasons. And then at the same time, you know, she would help me by going to the stores and sharing with people her story. And by the way, the philosophy of kombucha, you know, this Eastern fermented living liquid life, if you will. And 
through her, she, you know, she became this like evangelist, this ambassador. And that's really what I think gave me more backbone because I couldn't be able to do that on my own. Cause just being a kid, people aren't going to believe easily, at least what I say, but she really gave me and the product somewhat credibility, but also yeah. more importantly, she gave it, she gave it heart. She made people understand that this is not just a faceless company of a product yeah. that we're just mass producing. This is, this is an expression of love. This is something that was crafted with hearts and good intention. And, and people love that, especially when it comes down to food, because food is so incredibly intimate. Yes, I would agree with that. That's incredible. And obviously the landscape has changed so dramatically now. How is that for you? Are you still involved in the day-to-day of the brand? I am. I am um, not, you know, a one-man show anymore, of course. No. I am uh, very involved. And it's something that, again, it's a labor of love. So I enjoy every aspect and every minute of what I'm able to do. Because the way I see my company is many ways like a parent raising their child. Yeah. And my child is now call it 26 years old. So it's not, you know, a toddler, it's not a teenager, it's a young adult. And I'm now able to participate yet at the same time, witness and observe the life that it's living and, and how it is hopefully reflecting its early upbringing of of when I was doing everything and much closer to it. But I still, just like a parent that calls their child every day, even though they're on the other side of the country, I still stay very close because I, I, I want to make sure that this, you know, this is my legacy and I want to make sure that we never go off track, which, which is common, by the way, for businesses that experience rapid growth. Extremely. It's not that, yeah, you wake up one day and you're like, I'm not who I thought I was and I'm not on the path that I thought I was on. Yep. Yeah, absolutely true. I just want to say I've done a lot of interviews and I've never actually heard anyone talk about their brand as a child and and watching it grow up and understanding all the twists and turns. That's a really interesting way to look at it and probably really useful when you think about it as you're thinking about it changing and the stress. I mean, because even though it's super exciting, I'm sure there was a lot of stress for you around that as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, it's a blessing and a curse when you, and it, you're right, it's not common to for an, an owner to see their company and products as their children because and again there's difference of opinion but that's why a lot of times entrepreneurs just tend to exit and they just kind of sell right. off their company which in many ways is like marrying off your child or even putting no. up for adoption <laughs> which again yes. happens and can work but for me the blessing is again I do it for heartfelt reasons but the downside of it is I can sometimes be more emotionally tied to my company and my products more than I think that can be healthy. So I, I take things personally. And it's something that, again, is a blessing and a curse. I would still say it's more of a blessing than a I curse. I think so too. But yeah. It, yeah. But it still has that, you know, the watch out. Just like in life, if somebody's very sensitive and very intu- intuitive and they're very much an impasse, there's a downside to that. That means they are very sensitive to people's energy and they, they get hurt easily. So that kind of describes my situation with my company. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right though. There, it is a, a blessing and a curse, but probably more of a blessing because you have maintained the integrity of the brand and it's big now. I mean, you are, you're a giant brand. And so having those feelings, I, I mean, I'm sure there are many, many more people involved with the decision-making process than you've ever had before. And so, yeah, I could imagine feeling emotional about that. 
Yeah, it's definitely a different path. But again, I'm not the first and I'm certainly not the last. I mean, some really great entrepreneurs, for instance, like Steve Jobs, which I know is an easy name to reference, but I've learned and in many ways emulated from pioneers such as that, that when they're doing something that's the road less traveled, that yes. there's a certain personality and a certain obsession that you need to, to utilize. And, and it's not, it's easily misunderstood by others because again, it's the path less traveled, but there's a pure intention behind it. And it really is to do something great. So what would you say, this is probably going to be a hard question to answer too. What was your biggest challenge of all the challenges you faced over the past 20 years, 25 years? The biggest challenge I think honestly is, is right now. And I know that's kind of an unusual answer, Yeah. but you know, there's two things going on. One, which is universal and one, which is somewhat personal. So, you know, the universal situation, which obviously is not a surprise is with, with the, with the pandemic and everything that it brought and is bringing has made heartfelt, high quality, high standards, hard to make products like 10 times harder <laughs> because as, as you see the consumers sometimes because they have to shifting to online purchasing or shifting behaviors, whether we know it or not, certain types of products such as mine that are short shelf life need to be kept refrigerated, packaged in very premium materials like glass that's not easily shipped. We are sometimes un, unable to participate in those things which can be frustrating because it means yeah. something's pulled, being pulled away from you and you're almost being tempted to reassess your values right. to say, Hey, ditch the, the glass bottle, put it in a can. Hey, ditch the fresh ingredients, start using more shelf stable ingredients. So you can have a longer shelf life or ho- Oh, how about this? How about you no longer have to keep it refrigerated so you can ship it all over the country and it can sit on someone's doorsteps for hours or days and it'll be fine. But then the answer is, but then what am I doing? Right. And that's why, again, as I said earlier, it's so important to be rooted in that. What is my purpose and why am I doing this? Because when those temptations come your way, you need that North Star to be your guiding light. And then the other half of the statement is like anything in this world and specifically in this country, especially now with social media and the Internet, when something becomes popular it's unfortunate that it tends to get exploited. Right. And what happens through that ex- exploitation is you have something special like kombucha or coconut water or pressed juice, or, you know, you can name your category or name the product that you're familiar with and just watch it be exploited. Meaning like every, but you're even seeing it honestly in the heart seltzer world, which is not a health product, of course, but it was a popular trend that just got completely exploited and it just cheapened it. And more often than not, and there's been case study after case study written on these, is what ultimately happens is it kind of implodes and then people just abandon it and they never go back. And it almost becomes like a meme or like just like a dated trend. I mean, like a, what was that? Beanie baby? Remember those? And that's a horrible example. But something that just like started off as special and sweet and then just got exploited and then it's no more. And so you're seeing that in two ways. You're seeing it in the health and wellness space where there's like quasi health products out there mm-hmm. that really have cute and clever marketing and packaging, but there's nothing there. 
Yeah. Or you see the exploitation of even specifically kombucha, where I can't tell you how many times I come across an advertisement from a kombucha company that says, oh, we're the kombucha that doesn't taste like kombucha or kombucha never tasted so good. And it, in a weird way, it's slowly changing the narrative. It's almost saying like the way kombucha tastes is not right and right. it needs to be changed without really talking about why kombucha tastes the way it does. Like if it's not fermented, it's not going to have this tangy bite. So if it's just carbonated water, you have to ask yourself, well, then is this kombucha? Right. And so that's unfortunately our cross to bear right now because being the category creator and even category leader, it's a personal objective of mine to make sure that, that kombucha doesn't get exploited. But it's a, I sometimes feel it's, it's a, a battle that I'm fighting on my own. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's probably true. I mean, of course, there are people that feel the same way that you do, but I would agree with you that it's that could be one of the biggest challenges that you have is trying to stay in control of a message that you know, has been taken over by so many people who are, are much less passionate or committed to the mission than you are. Yes, that's exactly it. I mean, it comes down to, and I know I'm going to start sounding like a broken record, is why people do what they do. What is their primary purpose and primary objective for why they make the products they make? Why did they found the company that they founded? And if it's to make money, then, then that in many ways informs your decision. But if it's to do something great, that transcends the profit and the ego, then your standards and your integrity are like always going to be super high and, and sometimes somewhat unusual compared to the greater world. Because we do live in a, a very capitalistic world where people, they want to make money and they want to be successful. And sometimes that comes at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are you still going through the process of making it in, in the same or similar way that you did when you started? Yes, that's what's so interesting is, and that's kind of case in point of evidence of that we do things the hard way yeah. when they're the right, the right way. So believe it or not, I mean, I'm going to use crazy math here, but you know, the size of my business today is if there was a number, I'd say it was like one 30 million times bigger than that first day that I yeah. made my first batch of kombucha. But having said that, the way I and we make our kombucha is no different than that very first day. And that's something that I'm proud to say. Yes. I also want to you know, make it clear that it's not easy to do. And so it's something we're very, very proud of. But we do it because it's the right way. I don't believe that kombucha or candidly any really living thing can be mass or can or should be mass produced. And so we don't mass produce our kombucha. We still are, make it in small batches. As we say, they're small enough to hug. So they're less than five gallons and, and we have hundreds of thousands of batches going on and we believe kombucha should be grown and not manufactured. And that's what we do. Is that a a hard sell into people that you're now working with? Or is that just like, this is how it is. I made this decision a long time ago and it's not negotiable. Yes. I mean, it's been honestly a battle for, I would say the first half of my career is, you know, being a young a young lad trying to grow my business and trying to seek advice and guidance from people that I respect and trust. It was interesting to hear almost unanimously that people were like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta scale. Yeah. Take these five gallon batches and turn them into 5,000 gallon batches. And why don't you 
you know, do this. Why? I mean, I can't tell you how many times, even in the last couple of years, you got to go in cans. Cans are the future. And, you know, I always say, well, cans are lined in plastic and that plastic pulls nutrients from the liquid and it creates an inferior product. And so I can't then maintain my position that I make the best kombucha possible because that's no longer the, the honest truth. So it really is. It's, it's being open-minded because I'm a big believer that I need to know what I don't know. And there's mm-hmm. a lot that I don't know, but at the same time, maintain that, that compass of, I need to do what's right, even if it's more expensive and harder. And so a lot of times I'll listen to people, but very rarely do I actually take their full advice unless they are doing something that I want to emulate. And there are people out there. I mean, to be honest, like I've had the pleasure to meet, for instance, like Howard Schultz of Starbucks. Uh And when I met him at their Seattle headquarters many years ago, he gave me the very simple, but yet like priceless advice of just, you have to lead with your heart and you, you can't be persuaded by profit and greed and external noises. You need to always follow what's right. And, and I believe in many ways that's what Starbucks does because they're very much a humanitarian brand, less mm-hmm. of a transactional brand. They're far from perfect, but that's the advice. Like, cause I liked what he said and I liked even better what I, I saw in the form of his actions and the outcomes of his actions. And that's an example of advice that I will take. What advice would you give? Would that be the same thing? Or is there something you always tell people who are struggling or starting or thinking, should I even do this or I'm stuck? Well, I, I'm typically approached with two forms of, of advice or questions. One is what's the best advice that you would give me for starting my business. Mm-hmm. And I always say, do what you love and what makes the world a better place. And if you follow your heart with through that, success will always come your way, but just be patient. So that's what I always give to people who are looking to start a business because I even learned through my father early on because my father has it somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit. And unfortunately, my father hasn't had many success in his entrepreneur endeavors because what I noticed, and this is something I've been honest with him about, is he, at least in the early years, he was more caught up with the financial outcome of the yeah. situation and less about mm-hmm. the humanitarian aspect of it. And I noticed that was always his Achilles heel. So, so that's my advice that I've lived for my own and I give to others. The other advice that I say, which is more for call it the emerging company, an entrepreneur that's already gotten started, but is now starting to see some headwinds or some crossroads of, you know, maybe financial needs or, Hey, I need to leap to that next level. I always say, please be careful in how quickly you want to grow and what you're willing to do to support that growth, because it's not uncommon. In fact, it's actually too common for entrepreneurs to take on investors, most of which are not friends and family. Right. And mostly like a venture capitalist, a PE firm. And they're, they're, they become intoxicated with what these investors say that they're going to do, whether it's financial help, whether it's advice. But they have to realize that everything in this world has a give and a take. So in order to get that advice or better yet, get that money, it's too common that entrepreneurs are willing to give away equity for that. And not to say that that's a bad thing, but they sometimes 
don't really scrutinize the full details and potential ramifications of that. And so then one day they wake up and they're like, oh my God, I've lost control. I'm now a minority stakeholder. And now, I mean, I can't tell you how many phone calls I've received of unfortunate entrepreneurs saying, I, I just was, was kicked out of my own company. Or I was just told that we're, we're moving to plastic and I can't say anything because I'm now no longer a majority stakeholder. And, and so that's, those are my two pieces of advice. Like start with love and be careful who you let in. Yeah. How long did it take you before you decided that you needed to go outside for capital? Well, I, I never went outside for capital. You never did. Wow. Okay. No. I mean, well, let me be honest. There was this one moment. It was my mom. <laughs> it was probably, gosh, I think it was after my fifth year. And my mom could witness that I was, you know, again, I was going through the same struggle that I, I, I kind of referenced in my last answer about when founders are at that crossroads. I was at my own crossroads. And my mother observed that I was struggling. And I said to her, I said, you know, what's happening is I, I need to automate some of the things that I'm doing. Like I need a labeler because I'm labeling by hand and my business is growing so fast that I can't label fast enough. So she loaned me $10,000 to buy a labeler and I paid her back in, in I think three to six months. But again, that's the only capital I've ever taken and it's by design. That's amazing. Because the last point that I'll make is that if you run your business with this intention of I'm going to be profitable, so I'm going to be the, I can be my own captain of this ship and not have to talk to others and get permission from others, that will always really keep you out of trouble. Because what happens is, is it almost forces this, this self-restraint that many times entrepreneurs lose as they become intoxicated with success and opportunity and things that are in front of them. But if you really kind of put up those boundaries and those guardrails, it, it, again, it really shaped how you run your business and the choices that you make and things that you stay away from. That's incredible. I mean, that's inspired. Your story's incredible and inspiring. And I was just wondering if you have been involved with any other brands or if you ever have thought about launching something else or, if there's anything on the horizon for you that, that we don't know about? Well, my best answer is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I have about, gosh, six years ago, I acquired a company. And it was a company that had very much the same DNA that my brand has, where it was, it was founder-created, family-owned, was born out of passion and, honestly, adversity. And the company was called Coco Kiefer and Coco Yo, and those were these two fermented coconut, uh, young coconut products that came in the form of a, a probiotic shot that we now make today um, under a different name, and then a, a probiotic yogurt, which honestly is one of the most beautiful products we make right now because it essentially has just three ingredients, which is coconut water, young coconut meat, and probiotics, and it's living and alive and powerful and therapeutic. So that answers your question of if there's anything that I've done outside of my company. Second is, in 2017, I renamed my company GT's Living Foods, and that was by design. I, I, I didn't want to name the company GT's Kombucha, which you could argue I could and should have, perhaps. Yeah. But the reason why I chose not to do that is I didn't want to be limited to just yeah. one type of product. Because as much as I love kombucha, it's one of many incredible therapeutic and medicinal 
plant-based foods that the world needs to see and they need to be protected. So, so then my last answer, so that's why we have innovated outside of the kombucha space with similar yet different offerings from, as I mentioned, the raw coconut yogurt, the probiotic shot, which is the fermented coconut water, our alive medicinal mushroom drink, which we use therapeutic doses of reishi, chaga, and turkey tail mushrooms, which are, and they're, again, I don't know how familiar you are with mushrooms, but these aren't the mushrooms that you put like in your dinner, but this is either wild forest grown, growing on the bark of trees, uh, mushrooms that are known to fight disease and strengthen your immune system. So we have that under the brand name Alive. We have a water kefir, which we, we describe as a young sister, a younger sister to kombucha, and on and on. I mean, I don't want to eat up all the airtime, but the, the short answer is yes. We, we want to be pioneers of not just kombucha, but all these very special foods that provide, that the primary function for existing is to provide health and wellness. We don't like to make anything that's exclusively recreational. Because candidly, I feel the world has too many of those types of products. Yes, for sure. Are the other brands that you just talked about, are they under GT's Living Foods or is there are there any ones that are separate from that? They are all under the GT's Living Foods master brand. And they all carry proudly the GT's badge, which you know, I'm hoping at one point will be perceived as this, you know, this badge of trust and honor and quality standards. And in many ways, my personal promise that this product was intended to improve your life and, and it's the best product you can, you can find. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, if, I really think people only need to hear you talk to understand that and believe that because it's so compelling what you're saying and how you've sort of grown your business and your, you know, your brand, what you call your baby, which is amazing. It's super compelling. Have you had any, gotten any really good traction sort of like you, where you feel like some of those are going to be big brands Absolutely. I mean, I think of the ones that I referenced, I think the alive medicinal mushroom is in many ways kombucha 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, again, there's some knowledge. I mean, there's in certain, call it sophisticated health food communities, like mushrooms have been well known for a while, similar to the science behind fermented foods. And then also our coconut yogurt it almost speaks for itself and in many ways almost speaks to you when you consume it because it has a quality, you know, visually it looks like yogurt because it's white and creamy, but when you eat it, it almost has this like fluffy sparkling quality that it's like sparkling with life. Oh and then gosh. when you consume it, you just, you just feel, you just feel it almost like replenishing and reactivating this life force that we all need within us. And again, it's not cheap. It's like, I think it's like, depending on where you shop, it's anywhere from like 5 to $8 for an 8-ounce jar. So we're like, we're significantly more expensive than your average cup of, of yogurt. But there's a reason for it. And it's doing really well because people are like, hey, this isn't Yoplait. Yeah. But this yes. is something that, that's more right. significant. That's incredible. It's so inspiring. It's so awesome to hear all of that stuff. And I, I really hope that a lot of people get to hear your story through this and other places because it's inspiring. It really is. I mean, you did something when no one was doing it. Now people are struggling, but not compared to that, not compared to that. When you think about where you started, it feels like if someone had enough passion and a good enough product, they could do it for sure. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's incredible. I so appreciate your time and hearing your story firsthand. I just, I've loved it, but now I love it even more 
which I didn't think it was possible. So thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to speak. And again, I, I never get tired of sharing the early beginnings of my company because it continues to be the heartbeat of what yeah. we do today. So again, thanks for inviting me on. Sure. My pleasure. My, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.